electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast. Look out, Ohio. Intel is moving in with thousands of jobs and plenty of chips. CEO Pat Gelsinger and his big bet on American manufacturing. From the company that helped create Silicon Valley, right, the Silicon Forest in Oregon, the Silicon Desert in Arizona, today, the Silicon Heartland. Plus, tech stocks further into correction territory. Is something bursting? NFTs, meme stocks, fang stocks, real estate, the NASDAQ, added up where everything is. It was insane. And can the metaverse save Peloton? It has been a rough ride for the fitness company, but maybe Apple can help. For a company like Apple, which has talked about doing connected fitness, this would be, you know, we talk about pocket change, it'd be pocket lint. It's Friday, January 21st, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue, please. Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday, which probably couldn't get here soon enough for anybody who was along the markets this week. This is Squawk Box and this is CNBC. I'm Becky Quick along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And let's check things out. If you were hoping for some relief this morning, well, you're not going to get it, at least not if you are somebody who was uh, looking for the NASDAQ to kind of pick up this morning. If we take a look back at what happened, stocks gave up the early gains in the session. There were some big gains yesterday. Didn't happen that way at the end of the day, and so we logged yet another day of losses. You're talking about the Dow down by just under 1%, the S&P down by just over 1%, and the NASDAQ down by 1.3% yesterday. That means the NASDAQ is now down about 5% for the week and down nearly 10% just for the year to date. Of course, uh, the NASDAQ and the NASDAQ Composite and the NASDAQ 100 both in correction market territory at this point. And if you take a look this morning, like I said, no relief for the NASDAQ. Let's stick with the markets for a little bit more because there's been a dire warning now from Jeremy Grantham, the notable investor, saying that the U.S. is near the end of a super bubble across multiple asset classes following the massive stimulus during the pandemic. He says the S&P 500 could tank 45 percent once pessimism returns to rule. Now, In that paper, Grantham says, we are in what I think of as a vampire phase of the bull market where you throw everything you have at it. You stab it with COVID, you shoot it with the end of QE, and you poison it with unexpected inflation, and still the creature flies. That is, until, just as you're beginning to think the thing is completely immortal, it finally, and perhaps a little anticlimactically, keels over and dies, the sooner the better for everyone. So I don't know if uh, I don't know if you think 45 percent, guys, is in the cards or not. It, it is a pretty dire warning. I can't figure out if this is like we're just going to have a correction, a sort of ex- cor- extra, extra that. correction, or this becomes a deep malaise. I mean, you, you know, you've been following Grantham for years, right? I mean, yes. My, here's my, I was, I've already, we have been talking about this already with, with Max, I know the, the, the producer, but I have a lot of empathy for everything he just said, and we have stated it 
a dozen, the, the hundreds of times on this show. Add it up. NFTs, meme stocks, FANG stocks, real estate, the NASDAQ. Yep. Uh, just add it up. Add it up where everything is. It was insane. There's no doubt. The art world. The, just, just, so I have a lot of empathy for what he's saying. But my question is, for Jeremy Grantham, if it does go down 45%, are you still above where he started saying it was going to go down 45%? Because I think you are. Because I think he's been saying this for that long. So I, I still don't think it will get him to the point where he's been singing this to. I mean, you know, sooner or later, everyone's going to be, we're all going to die. I can tell you that. It's, it's most likely going to happen. So sooner or later, he's going to be using right. using the broken clock. No, but, but it's let's just. Let's grant them it, out of it. Right, okay. Let's but take, that's who we're talking about. That's who we're talking no, about. That's, that's my only point. That's my only point. It's been a long my, time. That if it finally happens, okay, great, Jeremy. You're right. Look, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of doomsdayers who who eventually become right. Right. Putting that aside, the question that I've tr- I've been trying to grapple with, and I've been talking to a lot of investors over the past 24, 48 hours about this, is now that we're moving, or we, as we move into this sort of correction territory, is are we back to 2000? Is this 2001? Are we are we are we having that? Does it tip over to something worse than that? Is it less than that? What are we really talking don't you about think, here? I don't you think a that, whole lot of people who think things are overvalued. But yeah, it's even worse. Time that, it or call it. Yeah, even um, worse than the, than the internet tech bubble because it's everywhere. Well, and, and, and that's just, the question. And look at the the and the the amount of of so uh, stimulus wasn't the same back then either. It was almost a different dynamic, which got us so high back then. It wasn't really the Fed and central banks around the world which got us there. But it, it it's scary when you think that the the amount of wealth that almost well, anyone in the stock market that, that you've accrued in recent years, a lot of that could go away and we'll, we'll feel a lot, people will feel a lot poor. It could, that could be a rude awakening. And there have been multi-year periods in the past where that's happened, like the early right. 70s. And Except there's I mean, a lot of liquidity, are, are terrible. a lot of liquidity still on the sidelines. And so that's a, that's a little bit different, I think, in terms of how you think about the dynamics compared to other crises. There's a lot of people who are still sitting with cash ready to go. Right. So well, the you also have a lot of retail investors who have come into the market who haven't been there before. And I just saw earlier this week there was some study that was taken that like 86% of them or something said that they planned on investing more in the market this year. But I think you're now probably at that point of crowd psychology, right? Everybody feels good when prices are going up. When you deal with a three-week period like we have with what's happened at the beginning of this year, that crowd psychology can change. And we know there have been a lot of talk about how it may not even matter what the companies are earning. If, if you start getting a change in the multiples, like that can make a big difference. And we're going to talk about yeah. a few stocks in a moment who have seen a big change to their the multiples that the market is willing to grant them. I mean, I, I think we probably, it, it's, it's, it's very hard them. to measure crowd psychology. Did, did you say grant them or grant them? I think you said grant them, and I thought you said grant them. Um, just now, you said willing to grant them, and I thought you were saying grant them. Oh, we're, grant them. <laughs> You know, no. maybe, so here we are, you know, on TV, and a lot of times we're just like the business we cover, you know what I mean? So now we're finally talking mm-hmm. about some of these stocks are What's down so much. Cover? We may be talking about, right, you know, after they're already down, four, many are down 20, 30, and 40 percent. Some but, of the high flyers. And that's the Some question. are down 50, and 60, 70, right. and 80 percent. Right. right. They might go down 80, or we may be. It may not be all or nothing like we're talking about right here. We may have had a pretty good, you know, I don't know whether, it, obviously, it hasn't been a huge correction, but the, the NASDAQ's now down, was, is down more than 10%. Maybe we're near the end of the intermediate term pullback based on higher interest rates. 
Or maybe there's all the trillion dollars. Or right? maybe everything's going to hit is the that fan. The, that's, is this the current and bottom? Are you? Are um, you? No, I would never. You, I'm. I'm saying that it may, may, may not be all or nothing. It's, just, it, it's never all or nothing. And I, I, like I said, I have a lot of empathy for what Grantham is saying. A lot of. Uh, I think I'm nodding with almost every point that he's making. But then again, I, someone could come out and say, you know, that's enough. Tepper or someone like that could come out and say, you know, it's this is enough. We've we've made enough. Uh, we've done enough work on the downside, and then we could be off to the races again, theoretically, because we are reopening. I mean, we are reopening. Things are going to be right. better someday. So we should be happy, shouldn't we? The, I think one of the weird things is that a lot of these stocks did so well during the pandemic that we're now saying, all right, pandemic's over. These, these high flyers aren't Peloton or even Netflix. Was Netflix a pandemic play? Right, but, people what, were, but it was because the expectation well, yeah, was, it was we created these wild expectations during the pandemic, not just of what was happening in the moment, but of what we thought could happen and the profits that were going to come after the pandemic. And what we've, what's been proven here is that that's not the case. Did uh, I mean, everyone, the whole time it, it, we were it like, is happening against the backdrop see no evil, of a, of a no evil. we're going to look forward, right? That's what it was. Yeah, but it, 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 it is, it is happening against the backdrop of a strong economy, incredibly low unemployment, um, higher wage growth. And I guess the question becomes, is that higher wage growth lead to additional inflationary pressures? Um, but it, it is weird. The economy could look good, but that may not necessarily be reflected in the market because, again, did, did, the stock market is not the economy. No. Did the um, price hikes at Netflix that we've talked about earlier, maybe did they bite? Sorkin, did you cancel your uh, you, you sounded like you were going to cancel because that's what that, that no. 85 cents. I don't that, think it, was can, uh, it wasn't cancellations. No. It was just not getting enough new subscribers. No, I know, but, but, just but also yeah. they're going to add less if people say, hey, I don't, you know. Well, but look. They've already said that, but look, their churn was very low, but the, their issue is just simply growth. And by the way, it's not even a U.S. growth story. That's not America, what we're talking yeah. about. If you really but, understand, it's a, it's a global story, and it's a question of just how many new subscribers they're going to capture. And we, meaning the collective uh, investment community, analysts, journalists, looking at this, had these sort of growth projections that were to the moon. And then the question is, is, is the last laugh on us? And by the way, not just Netflix, but every other media company that's trying to do exactly what they're doing. Well, the, right? the others Although are, I wonder if other media companies look at this and say, hey, this is really good news because finally they're not going to get a pass and lose Narrowing a ton of money and never have to earn anything and still be able to spend all of that and get the pass from the stock market. I'm sure the other media companies are like, OK, welcome back. Welcome back right. to reality. But Time Netflix, to deal on the same but level But even the other field. streamers, the other streamers, Netflix grudgingly admitted that the competition is, is out there and there are other things. And I've been on Peacock because of yellow... Uh, you know, because of, of what, yeah, yeah, because of what, uh, watching, I've been on Peacock a lot more than I've been on Netflix. There's been nothing on Netflix, although I think Ozark's coming back tonight. Have you heard that? I think Ozark. No. Uh, it, I've been it, watching it, Modern it, Family again on Peacock, too. Yeah. Look at us. Uh, peacock. Peacock. Next on Squawk Pod, Intel's moving into the heartland. The chipmaker's plans for a $20 billion plant outside of Columbus, Ohio. And what CEO Pat Gelsinger needs from the government to keep U.S. manufacturing a success. It is critical that we get the CHIPS Act in place because that sort of closes that final gap to make this economically viable because this will be supplying global market. And as a result, we have to be globally competitive. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This is Squawk Pod. Here's Joe Kernan. Welcome back uh, to Squawk Box. News breaking, though, in the last hour. Chip giant Intel making a big bet on Ohio. Oh, yeah, that's nice. That's good. I agree with that. Announcing plans to build two new factories outside of Columbus. Okay. Company will spend at least $20 billion to build the plants, which will employ about 3,000 unbelievably great people. Uh, the announcement marks the largest private sector investment in Ohio's history, with construction slated to begin uh, late this year. Production is expected to come online in 2025, and CEO Pat Gelsinger is going to join us. John Ford's going to bring him in. We're going to look at all the, both the, the good things and then the other side of things uh, w- with Intel uh, right now. Or no, no, John may not do that this time, right? He's just, it's just going to be yeah, a... this is not on the other hand. But it's look, be, this okay. is huge. This is something that we've been waiting for for a long time to see U.S. production of chips here in the United States. We realized it was a serious problem during the pandemic when, uh, you know, chips got shut down, production got shut down, and we, there was not much we could do about it because we didn't have any production here in the United States. So seeing something like this... Um, is the first step toward fixing our supply chain and our, you know, even security issues to some extent, because we are so reliant on these chips at this point. Well, but I was going to say, Becky, the key is what you just said. It's got to be the first step. And the question is, what are the other companies, not just that are going to step up, but that maybe even need to be incentivized to get effectively into this business? And when you, you look at the calendar and the clock, at least from in my mind, it's going to take them two years, they say, to build this thing. We actually need to be able to manufacture chips in this country, maybe within that time frame, but, you know, at multitudes more, because I don't know what you think is going to happen in in 2025 or 2026 when it comes to Taiwan and China and everything else and how complicated that situation could very, very well uh, put us in. But I I think the chips are going to be a little bit like Pfizer pills. Uh, We're going to not have enough of them. Right. I know. I think we know all the concerns. We know all the downside. That's why this is such a big deal um, to actually see progress being made. This is going to happen. The plan's putting out and you, you can't flip a switch and make this happen overnight. So, uh, you know, it's it's great to see the investment. And of course, the United States government has been uh, kind of incentivizing this along the way, too. So we can talk about that, too. A lot of room. A lot, yeah. lot of room. And, and you know what? You don't need a lot of like land leveling, like construction equipment. There's, you know, there's no hills that oh, you're going to have to because it's flat. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It's really. <laughs> Andrew, I was thinking about that. You, you know, one of these days, you know, if you ever have time, maybe you know, in the future, instead of just flying over all these places on your way to San Francisco or, or L.A. or wherever it is, you got to stop 
in one of these states that are between the two. You've I've, got. I've spent I've spent a lot of time in Columbus, Ohio. I'm I'm very happy. You've for been Ohio. to Columbus, Ohio. I've I've been. I have pick. I will send you for, some pictures. The town formerly known as Columbus, I guess. I don't know. What are we going to call that it? That was the All last right. trip I made right before the <laughs> pandemic. I was in Columbus and then down in Cincinnati. That was February of 2020, it's, right before it's, things uh, shut down. Yeah. It's it's good. And, and by the way, it's not flat everywhere. I, people used to say Pretty Oklahoma flat. was flat. I, Pretty, I rode my bike not. across Oklahoma Cincinnati a couple of times. Seven Hills. It's Cincinnati's beautiful. not. Yeah. Seven Hills yeah, is beautiful because you're on your way into the, the rolling well, hills of bluegrass, Kentucky and stuff. But Columbus is pretty uh, flat. Big, big school there. Big school. Big, big. Huge. I'm not flying over, Ohio Joe. State. That's why I was there. You're I was there for a game. Over. What did you? Joe, that was a quick I stop. I, I know we got to go. Just so you know, because we were counting with my kids last week, there's only about four states that I'm missing to, be, to have actually been in every state in this country. So I'm not, I, it's not that I'm North going Dakota, from South one Dakota. coast to the other coast. Then you didn't get a rap. I am missing, I'm missing, missing North Dakota the Dakotas. And South, I am missing North and South Dakota. I have not been there. Yeah. I want to go there and go yeah. where um, What's Her Face went in that lands. movie. I went, yeah, I want to go to the Badlands. What's his face went in that movie? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. The great actress from Fargo. She was just uh, the, the Academy Award. They are yelling Award, in our ear. The Academy Award winner was time. all in, in South Dakota and at Walls Drug and all that stuff. Uh, you know her, yes. right? Frances uh, McDormand. Yes, I yeah, do. I all Previgen. right, we're going to move Previgen. on because they are yelling at me. Our own John Ford joins us right now with a special guest. John. Becky, good morning, and thanks for joining us now. Intel CEO, Pat Gelsinger. Uh, Pat, welcome, and uh, we'll get to the stock impact and, and maybe some of even the political impact, but I have to start with the real-world economic impact for Ohio here. And, hey, the whole Midwest, this site is within a three-hour drive, I was looking at this, of Cincinnati, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and the borders of West Virginia, Michigan, Kentucky, and Indiana. There's never been a chip fab in this region. You're calling it Silicon Heartland. Uh, why'd you do it there? It would have been easier. I mean, impact is huge. It would have been easier to do it in California, Arizona, you know, Oregon, places where you've already got uh, fabs. Why there? Yeah, and obviously, uh, John, pleasure to join the show today. And, you know, from the company that helped create Silicon Valley, right, the Silicon Forest in Oregon, the Silicon Desert in Arizona, Today, the Silicon Heartland, and we're quite excited. And you know, we did a nationwide search for our next mega fab location, and uh, you know, we looked at uh, you know, thirty to forty sites around the nation, and on many factors. You know, big. You know, this is going to be uh, grow to we hope eight fabs over time. So a large location, energy, water, talent. You know, we have the uh, all of the Midwest schools, and this is manufacturing. You know, we wanted a place that had a, you know, history, a passion for manufacturing at scale. And uh, the state of Ohio, boy, I'm a Pennsylvania boy, but right next door, those Ohio, they were so enthusiastic, embraced us aggressively to really uh, demonstrate to us the extraordinary capacity that the Silicon Heartland has for our great nation. Well, now let's talk about where this fits into Intel's strategy. You and I have been talking about uh, what you're doing to try to catch up with your manufacturing process. You've got this strategy for foundry, uh, making chips for other companies. How dependent 
is this Ohio site and plan on things that we don't know yet. For example, we don't know when or really whether the CHIPS Act funding, that $52 billion is going to be available. We don't know when your next generation process technology is going to be ready exactly, though I know you said recently that's on track. Uh, and we don't know where the foundry business is going to be in 2025 when this is uh, production is expected to come online. So how dependent is this Ohio plan on those things? Well, we need this capacity, period. And even if it's just for the Intel products, you know, we would be announcing this site today. You know, we, we believe that there's uh, simply so much demand for our products. But when we uh, look at our foundry business, hmm, you know, we're going to run wafers for our products as well as our foundry customers at this location. So we need it for that reason as well. We also, as we said, with the CHIPS Act, we said, you know, we're going to build this site, period but it's gonna be bigger and faster with the support of the CHIPS Act. And obviously uh, today's announcements, and I'll be with the president this morning, is clearly a strong message to Congress that you know we're again putting our chips on the table. The say-do <laughs> ratio is high. We need their support to go bigger and faster to restore this industry on American soil. Yeah, this is within a three-hour drive of six states, as I mentioned up front, so it's, a, it's an interesting political approach as well. Have you already reached out to uh, the leaders in those states that are nearby? And how do you communicate the follow-on economic impact of a chip fab versus even um, an, an auto plant, which is what the region uh, is used to getting more excited about? Yeah, and you know, as you think about this, you know, we're announcing it'll be 3,000 jobs for the first two fabs, but we hope to see it grow to be a full eight-plus fab site over the decade. You know, it's immediately building out 7,000 construction jobs. And for every one of our jobs, our typical ratios are greater than 10x of total jobs of suppliers, other ecosystems, teachers, you know, police officers, everything coming around. Because this is building a small city, uh, as I describe it. So enormous economic impact for the entire region. And it tends to be a hub. And as we've seen in Oregon, Santa Clara, and Arizona, other companies come alongside as well. So it really becomes a bubbling cauldron of innovation and growth for the entire community. And obviously, I guess I'm gonna have to be more enthusiastic for the Buckeyes, but also you know, the many other great engineering schools in the nation, you know, also military bases. We have huge uh, success with uh, military you know, coming into a manufacturing environment. So, so many good things. And when we think about the auto industry, you know, you're going to see us have more to say with the auto industry leaders as they're uh, looking to us and others to build up and satisfy their demands. Because as we've seen, the economic impact of not having enough chips to meet uh, the growth of that has been inflationary, you know, has been job impacting. So this is critical to support that industry, which is already very present in the, in the heartland and now the Silicon heartland. Yeah, Pat, to what degree would this have an impact on, for example, the auto industry, which you bring up? I think in the release I saw that you were saying the latest process technologies, you know, cutting edge designs will be produced out of these fabs. Often what the auto industry is looking for is not cutting edge process technology. So what processes exactly do you expect to be coming out of these fabs and serving whom? Yeah, and we, you know, our expectation is we want to do groundbreaking on this fab later this year. Uh, by 2025, we want to have it in production. It will be leading edge capacity that we're building at uh, this location. But if you think about the car, 
you know, today, a premium car, about 4% semiconductors. By 2030, it'll be about 20% semiconductors, so a 5x increase. And most of that expansion is in areas like autonomous driving, uh, advanced uh, infotainment, uh, 5- and 6G communications capabilities, electric vehicle capabilities. So much of that 5x growth is actually the car becoming more modern. As I've described it, you know, the car is becoming a computer with tires as we look to the future. And much of those advancements, as we get to the second half of this decade, will be for leading edge uh, technology. So today, much of the crisis is what we'll call trailing, mature, or specialty nodes. But going forward, this capacity will clearly be servicing those emerging needs of the auto industry and many other industries as well, industrial, supply chain, you know, healthcare, in addition to computers, cloud, metaverse, and you know, so on. So the full range, this will be globally supplying out of the Silicon Heartland in Ohio. Hey, Pat, there's, there's a reason that uh, chip factories haven't been built in the United States for a long time. It was cheaper to do this overseas and, and then import them. Um, is it, it, has the situation changed with the supply chain crunch and with the huge demand for chips at this point? Or is this a situation where that's part of it, but it still requires pretty heavy government incentives to make it worthwhile to build chips here? Yeah, clearly the you know, crisis that we've been in has caused the rethinking of, you know, a cost only mindset versus a resilience and uh, flexibility uh, mindset in their thinking. Clearly, there's financial gaps to do this in Asia and the U.S. That's why things like the CHIPS Act and strong support uh, from the state of Ohio, as we've seen in this project, is uh, helpful. You know, also the economics are shifting as, uh, you know, the, a stepper uh, from uh, Holland, whether it arrives in the U.S. or arrives in Asia, you know, it's still a very expensive piece of equipment. And we're driving to higher and higher degrees of automation where the costs of labor aren't as influential in the total cost uh, structure. So all of these factors together, we believe we can do economic, but it is cr critical that we get the CHIPS Act in place because that sort of closes that final gap to make this economically viable because this will be supplying global market and as a result, we have to be globally competitive. Hey, Pat, I think it's, I mean, you must take a lot of pride in working for the, the company that where Gordon Moore actually was part, was a founder. And we still talk about Moore's Law. And I, I haven't been updated lately on, on how long. Is it three years now? Is it is 10 nanometers? Can we get around that? Are, are we hitting uh, physical constraints? And then I want to ask you a follow-up uh, on that. Yeah, and you know what we've uh, and I recently did this in a speech late last uh, year that we see ten years of Moore's law in front of us. You know, this doubling every uh, two years. You know, four critical barriers that we've overcome. You know, one is lithography, and with ASML and at EUV, that's solved. A major new transistor architecture with what we call ribbon FET power delivery uh, into the chip, and then finally two and a half and three D packaging. These four together, which we've now proven in our labs and in our development, we believe that we can have Moore's Law be true for the next uh, decade. Today, the highest end chip that we'll be producing this year is about 100 billion transistors. And if you follow that projection, we'll hit the trillion transistor chip by 2030. Moore's Law is alive and well. And we at Intel and myself, you know, we take great pride in being the stewards of Moore's Law for the decade to come, if not beyond. Yeah, I'm sure. If it takes a little longer 
there are people that say there's some advantages, but also disadvantages. It gives you more time to, to perfect the manufacturing process and, and get better yields, and, and that helps margins. But some people have said it's also helped other competitors that couldn't catch up before, like AMD, that, that it's given them a little bit of time uh, to catch up. But maybe there's room for everybody. Well, you know, I do think this is a big market now. Today, semiconductors about half a trillion dollar industry. By 2030, expected to be a trillion dollar industry. But let me tell you, I am not slowing down for anybody. We at Intel, we have a new phrase that we call, we are setting a torrid pace. And uh, we believe that's the right thing for our company, the right thing for our nation, the right thing for the uh, industry. And uh, we are well on our way to recovering one of this iconic company and putting it back in the leadership position that it's always had in the honor of Gordon Moore, Bob Noyce, the inventor of the integrated circuit, Grove. And, you know, these are the founders that's uh, part of the reason, you know, I am who I am today. I was mentored at their feet. And today, in their honor, it's my pleasure to lead this iconic company. Hey, Pat, uh, you just talked about uh, the responsibility I think you have to this country um, and the issues around national security, even to some degree, around getting semiconductors back manufacturing in this country. You, of course, manufacture and have relationships in China. And I wanted to bring China up because uh, you have been criticized over the past month for making some statements that were perhaps in the interest initially of the U.S., but then apologizing and walking them back, uh, but then getting a backlash. Uh, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio calling those apologies, quote, humiliating and effectively threatening you uh, around the government funding of projects like this. And I'm hoping you could respond and explain your position uh, to the extent you can. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the U.S.-China relations are very tenuous. Uh, ones. And, uh, you know, it's very hard to find a middle ground where a company like us that satisfies global uh, markets, 25% of my revenue is in China. Those revenues allow us to invest in R&D and manufacturing, which is centered in the U.S. This is good business. It's a large and growing and important market for us as well. But as you've seen, there's points of tension on social and other matters, as well as uh, trade issues. And so we have to navigate uh, carefully. And uh, as a result, you know, we made some adjustments to our policies, but uh, we're also very clear. We, uh, you know, are very uh, uh, global in uh, our operations. You know, we support the laws of the countries and all of those that we uh, operate uh, in. You know, we don't use forced labor, other things like that, standard policies as a uh, company. And uh, we do our absolute best to reinforce those policies at the same time, obey the laws and become this national treasure that uh, we think is so critical for the planet, for the semiconductor industry, because every aspect of human existence is becoming more digital. Everything digital runs on semiconductors. That's the role that we play in the global market. I appreciate you're weighing those issues, but, but what do you do when you're doing business in a country where the laws themselves don't agree with your own frankly, philosophy or the national interest potentially of where you are based. Um, and also, you're a company that has, uh, I think, talked about having a, uh, a moral compass, trying to do what it, your employees and customers want. Ex explain how you, you weigh that, because there's some people who look at this uh, and think that you should be more outspoken in China. 
Yeah, and, you know, obviously, uh, you know, we need to navigate this carefully. You know, it's not our job to be uh, managing the social environments of the countries we participate in. It's our job to be delivering the technologies, the products, the capabilities, obeying the local laws, but setting global policies. And obviously, as the question points out, you know, there's often, uh, you know, not much space between those, and it causes, uh, you know, uh, the need for careful considerations. And, uh, you know, we do speak out on uh, certain issues that are critical to our business, you know, but generally my advice to, you know, us as well as other CEOs is that uh, our job is to do a great job for our business, set clear policies for how we're going to participate in the uh, global market and obey the laws of all the uh, markets that uh, we're participating in. And uh, with that, the more that we increase the presence of Intel and U.S. products in China or anywhere else in the world, you know, we think that's good policy. That's good trade. That maximizes our industry at the same time you know, that we are working to deliver our products and capabilities on a global basis. We're also a company that deeply believes in technology as a force for good, where we want to be the company that is constantly saying, what is that North Star? You know, and how should technologies improve our roads with autonomous vehicles, improve our healthcare, uh, and how they're used in the social sphere as well? And yes, we do see that we have a role in playing those on a global basis. Pat, the, the labor market in, in, in this country, in the United States, uh, is, is it's difficult to, to try and navigate, I would think, uh, with, with a company like yours. And the, the skill set and trying to match uh, skill sets with with the, the, the workforce that's available. And I, I imagine that it's not easy right now in terms of finding the kind of people that, that you want and you must have to pay them a lot. And people always say, you know what? When you're in college, you should take up electrical engineering. And it's like <laughs> kids look at you and like, why don't you take up electrical engineering? You know, I'd like to you know, maybe have some social life. It's, it's, it's very difficult, obviously. Are you having trouble finding the people for, for the positions that, that are open? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things is it is generally an inflationary market for this type of skill. Uh, and we're seeing that uh, fairly globally in the marketplace, but certainly here at home. One of the things we're also announcing uh, today is a hundred million dollar investment fund in Ohio for workforce development. You know, later this morning, I'm with uh, President Biden, as well as Secretary of Commerce Romando. One of the elements of the CHIP Act is uh, workforce development and uh, ongoing research for leadership in this area. You know, we do like the fact that our new site has us next to Ohio State and many of the other Midwest uh, schools. And we expect to launch major programs in the area of semiconductor, semiconductor uh, manufacturing to help build that long-term workforce. And as I would say, I'm a farm boy from Pennsylvania. I stumbled into electronics you know, now leading one of the iconic brands of the world. Yeah, to all you kids who are listening out there, engineering, computer science, go into these fields. These are the ones that truly, you know, will determine the future of this uh, great nation. And they don't pay too bad as well. <laughs> uh, Pat Gelsinger, um, I, I know you got uh, some people to see uh, at the White House, perhaps. And I also know you got earnings coming up. So look forward to speaking with you then pretty soon. Pat Gelsinger, CEO of Intel. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Peloton stalling out with reports of halted production and a stock headed downhill. And no wonder some of us are ready to say goodbye to fitness hardware. I want to work out in the metaverse. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Stand Andrew by. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Peloton shares are up a little bit this morning following their own plunge yesterday. The company says that it is reviewing production levels and the size of its workforce in response to a CNBC report that it was temporarily, temporarily halting production of bikes and treadmills because of waning demand. Stock this morning up by about 5%, uh, but again, not really making up for the drop after hours. After hours yesterday, Peloton pre-announced some fiscal second quarter numbers saying total fitness subscribers will fall slightly below a previously forecasted range. But they said revenue will be in line with its prior estimate. Joe? Let's get back. Oh, Andrew? Oh, he was. No, I was just I was just going to say on Peloton, there's a lot of speculation yesterday, especially after the close, about whether it becomes a takeover target, especially for a company like Apple, which has talked about doing connected fitness. This would be, you know, we talk about pocket change would be pocket lint for Apple to, to get in there, make a, make a deal at a probably a significant premium. Again, you know, maybe, maybe you don't need Peloton, but at these type of prices, maybe there, maybe there will be some kind of transaction to be had, depending on what uh, you think no. plays out. It's too real. It it's, it's, sure it would need the metaverse. I want to work out in the metaverse. What I'm thinking. Well, you know by the way, I, I, I was playing. I played with some Oculus do. glasses over, over the weekend <laughs> and did one of these gym classes, and it's unbelievable. Oh, it so really you're actually is. moving around. See, I want my avatar to do all the stuff. Run, oh. no, lift, it'll blow your mind. Treadmill, it'll blow your mind. But, but I think you're going to want. You might actually want to have a combination of these things, meaning have either the treadmill, have the bike, and maybe even have the glasses going at the same time. That's where I feel like an Apple or a Google or whatever, in the end, you could see the consolidation. Running around with those glasses on. I'd run into the wall. Speaking of Rick Moranis. Rick Moranis and something. What movie was it where he was on a bike? Like, with the headset on and everything. What was that? I don't know, Andrew. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids or something? I'm telling you, you spend time with this new Oculus, and and not just the Oculus by yourself, but with other people in the room, and... It'll open up your eyes to, and it, it just changes your whole imagination about what happens with NFTs, with crypto, what that whole world could be. Now, it's not here today, but it's, uh, uh, you, it's almost impossible not to think it will be eventually. Sounds like eyes wide shut. Yeah, right. I don't know why my mind goes right into the gutter uh, with that, but uh, let's, let's keep, uh, let's, let's get a move on. Because you know that 
everything migrates with porn. We know that. Everything, we've talked about that so many times in the past. So the, the idea of other people with those glasses on, Andrew, the whole thing makes me uncomfortable. And that's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. You made it to the weekend. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a rating or write a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a minute. That helps other listeners discover Squawk Pod. We'll meet you right back here on Monday. Have a great weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.